Good morning. It's good to be with you today. What's in your wallet? Have you heard that before? What's in your wallet? That's a commercial. It's about Capital One. Or how about like a good neighbor? That's State Farm, isn't it? Marketing team plays tons and tons of money every year for companies to come up with a slogan, to come up with an expression, to come up with something that's catchy, to come up with something that you will remember. Geico has that little green lizard. It's called the Geico. And he runs around telling you all kinds of things. Liberty Insurance has that weird guy in a yellow shirt. He seems kind of like a goofy guy. And that big looking like an ulcerate that's an emu. And it walks around doing things. Well, if we came to the Apostle Paul and we gave him a marketing job and says, we want you to market something that you use a lot, I think the expression the Apostle Paul would use would be shields up. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Multiple times in Paul's writing, he'll use the expression guard. Four times in his letter to Timothy, he tells them to guard what's been entrusted to you. And that's what we're going to look at today, as Paul uses that expression. Great to have you with us today. At the end of our lesson, we're going to go to the book of Galatians. And once you get your Bible out, I'm going to give you six statements from Galatians. One from every chapter. It will help us to appreciate this idea of guarding what's been entrusted to all of us. And that's very valuable. Love the beginning of our worship today. This is the day the Lord has given us. There's a lot going on in this world. Afghanistan is a mess. There's a hurricane barreling down on New Orleans. But the Bible tells us it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. A lion that's dead is out of options. When you have life, when you have a day, you have choices. The day to honor God. The day to make the resolution, I'm going to do better than I've done before. The idea that I want to follow God. Indeed, this is the day the Lord has given us. Our focus this morning is going to be on the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 14. Here the Apostle Paul says, Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Guard. We use that expression a lot. There are security guards. There are prison guards. There are mouth guards. Along the stretches of the highway, there are what we call guard rails. In basketball, as a young player is learning how to play the, basketball, play the game, as he's driven the ball down the court, the coach will tell him, guard the ball, guard your dribble, protect it. In basketball and in football, it's the same thing. We protect or guard the quarterback. In finance, you want to protect or guard your finances. We have homes in which we have guard dogs. We have security systems. It's all that idea of protecting what is important. We begin by understanding that something has been given to us. It's entrusted. Entrusted means it's not yours. It's someone else's. It's like babysitting. It's like watching someone's house on vacation. It's like watching someone's dog when they're out of town. You take care of it, but it's really not yours. Now, someone asks you to watch their dog while they're going to be gone, and they come back and says, you know what, I don't like your dog, I sold your dog. You can't do that. It's not your dog. It's been entrusted to you, but it's not yours. And what Paul tells us is that this is a treasure. This is something given to us by God. And something very special. The ESV uses the expression, a good deposit. 
Again, something we need to see and appreciate. Now, what is it that God has given us? Let's begin with the negatives. God has not given us the charge of running this universe. It would do well for some people to take a class in astronomy because they think that they are the center of the universe. They think everything revolves around them, and that's not the way it is. It's not our prerogative to run the universe. It is God's. Now, let me show three statements here. Maybe a little in-your-face statements, but this follows this point. Number one, not everyone is interested in your ideas. Now, you may have brilliant ideas, but not everyone is interested. Why? Because you're not the center of the universe. Not everyone cares about your opinions. This is especially true in social media, and we all have our opinions. I tell people opinions are like noses. Everyone's got one, and they think theirs is the best. Well, not everyone's interested in your opinion. Not everyone cares, and not everyone thinks what you say is important. Why? Because you don't run the universe. You are not the center. God has not given that. God has not entrusted that to you. Secondly, as we think about this, God has not put you in charge of deciding what's right and wrong. He has done that. And if you look real quickly in your Bible, in the book of 2 Timothy, in chapter 3, this is a wonderful passage that just illustrates this. In 2 Timothy, chapter 3, in verse 16 and 17, there the apostle would say to us in this way, All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That means God tells us what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. Who decides that? God does. It's not the church's right. It's not your right. It's not my right. God has done that. He has not entrusted you with making Bible doctrine. God makes that. And then thirdly, God has not given you the opportunity to determine the eternal destiny of others. Who's going to heaven? Who's not? That's up to God. Now, we can look at the law of God, and we can make some conclusions, but that's up to God to know everyone's heart, everyone's walk. And so, am I going to heaven? Are you going to heaven? That's up to our walk and what the Bible says. It's not my right to say that. But now, when we go to this passage once again, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 14, Paul wants us to guard what is entrusted. He wants us to guard that because someone wants to take it wants to steal it, and that's Satan. John chapter 10, what a wonderful lesson on this, Wednesday night by Mark Roberts. The context talks about false teachers, but in the, behind all that is Satan himself. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. Satan doesn't want to borrow your treasure. He doesn't want to buy your treasure. He wants to steal your treasure. And what is that treasure? That treasure is not your yard, it's not your house, it's not your dog, it's not your money. He doesn't care about those things. He's interested in what God has given you. And he'll catch you off guard, he will distract you, he'll distort you, he'll do all he can to get what you have. Now, what have we been entrusted with? Three things. Number one, this congregation and to keep it faithful. This congregation, and to keep it faithful. For a moment, just look around this building. Imagine, for whatever reason, we sold this building. This building wouldn't make a restaurant. It's not shaped right. You couldn't fix cars in this building. It's not shaped right. I mean, what would you do with this building? 
probably just have another church in here. Ten years from now, if there's another ten years from now, will we still be worshiping God faithfully? Twenty years from now, will there be another church in here, and how will they be worshiping God? This is what God has entrusted us with. When you look in Revelation 2 and verse 3, you see about churches that were lukewarm. You read about churches that were dead. You read about churches that were not teaching God's words faithfully. Whose job is this to keep us faithful to God's word? It's your job. It's my job. There's no outside agency that says, oh, wait a minute. You're getting a little too close to the edge there. There's no counterbalances that someone's going to come in and audit us and say, you know what? You need to swing back a little bit this direction. It's up to us. God has entrusted that to us. Did you see in the news this past week, Harvard University, very, very liberal school, hired a new director of their chaplains. The director is an atheist. How can you have an atheist over chaplains? That makes no sense. That's where the world is going. And we need to see and appreciate how important this is. Second thing God's entrusted you with is your family. It's your family to get them to heaven. The little ones to know the Bible, the big ones to follow faithfully. No one else will do this but you. At school, they'll learn all kinds of things, even bad things. Watching TV, they may learn all kinds of things, even bad things. Who will keep them pleasing to God? It's you. God has entrusted you with your family. The book of Psalms tells us our children are a gift of the Lord. That is what God's entrusted you. That's what Satan wants. And then thirdly, above all things, to keep your soul close to the Lord. That is the third thing God has entrusted you with. Who's going to keep you faithful to God? Who's going to make sure you follow God as you should? You have to do that. Now, the church has a role in all of this. But more than that, it's up to you, up to me to do that. So when the apostle says in guard, to guard that treasure, this is what he has in mind. This is what's before us as we think about that. And that now takes us to the book of Galatians, if you will. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Galatians. Galatians, unlike Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, wasn't a city. It was a region. And there were several churches in Galatia. And so the Apostle Paul writes this generic letter that was going to go to all the churches in the Galatia region. Now, we begin by understanding that the Galatian churches were struggling. Lots of problems are going on. Let's begin in chapter 1, verse 6. I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. They were already becoming a little bit unfaithful, he would say to them. In the fourth chapter of Galatians, in verse 16, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? I'm just telling you what God says, and you don't like me because of that, he says. And then in chapter 5, notice verse 3 and verse 4, I testify again to everyone who sees the, the circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. You've been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. So these were churches that were troubled, and they weren't really guarding what they should have been guarding, and they had kind of lost what they had been entrusted. And so when we go back to chapter 1, we're going to look at all six chapters. I'm going to give you a statement from all six chapters. How is it through the Holy Spirit we guard what's been entrusted? How do we keep this church faithful? 
How do I get my family heaven bound? How do I make sure I am pleasing the Lord? Number one, we see in verse 10 of chapter 1, you have been approved by God. Chapter 1, verse 10, for am I seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I seeking to please men? If I'm still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Why is emphasizing there is the importance of following and pleasing God. You have been approved by God. People will do all kinds of things to get their approval. When you're a teenager, you do silly stuff. Sometimes you'll do a dare. I used to work at a fishery where we grew fish, goldfish, shipped them all over the world. And one day in that hot, stinky job, me and some guys were in the back, we were bored to death, they started taking live goldfish and swallowing them one by one. Came to me. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I don't like fish that well. Number one, I don't want it live in my belly. But, but people will do that for a dare. Now, when you get older, to get people to like you, you may do challenges. You may do things that are questionable. You may do things that are risky. You may do things that are immoral just to get people to like me. Why do young people get in gangs? Why do some people do immoral activities? Because they want somebody to like them. Here, what Paul's saying here is you are liked by God. You are approved by God. You don't need anything else to do that. Now, in your Bible, let's look at the book of 2 Timothy in chapter 2. Let's put some verses on this. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Here again, as he brings up that statement, he says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, he says, as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. What kind of workman does not need to be ashamed? Comes Friday, comes time to get a paycheck. What kind of guy should not be ashamed? Well, the guy that worked. You told me to do this, boss, and I did it to the best of my ability. I can take this paycheck and go home with a good conscience. Comes Friday, it's payday, and what have you done this week? Well, I was on Amazon on Monday. On Tuesday, I was on Facebook. I I didn't come to work Wednesday because I just didn't feel like it. On Thursday, well, you know, I, I was playing all these video games on that. And here's my, it's Friday, give me my paycheck. You should be ashamed. You didn't work. That's what Paul's saying here. The point is, when we are approved of God, those are the things that make the difference. And we see throughout scriptures, Noah found favor with God. David found favor with God. Mary, the mother of Jesus, found favor with God. All those things did that because they were seeking to do what God wanted them to do. Now, Galatians chapter 2, next point. What's happened in the past is the past. How do I guard what's been approved to me and entrusted to me? I realize the past is the past. Galatians 2 verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. The idea simply here is that this treasure, this gift I have from God, we need to see that I've changed. I'm redeemed. I'm bought with the blood of Jesus. Don't talk about my past. That's like a house I don't live in anymore. That stuff is not my stuff anymore. I've moved on. We understand that principle. And so when we think about this, we have moved on because of Jesus. How can I guard this? I'm a different person. 
I don't do what I used to do. I don't talk the way I used to talk. I've been redeemed by Jesus. Paul would say in Philippians 3, the past is behind me. That's what we have to remember. There's some people who are forever crippled by their past. Things have happened and they can't get past it. Sometimes the family won't let them get past it. But we need to realize I've moved on and I don't live there. Number three, next chapter. Your value is not based upon what you have but who you are. Galatians 3. Begin verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus. For all of you who are baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Go back through this and notice these statements here. Look at verse 26. You are sons of God. That's who you are. Look at verse 27. You have clothed yourselves with Christ. Look at verse 28. You are one in Christ. You are in Christ, he says. Look at verse 29. You belong to Jesus. You belong to Christ. And so we, we remind ourselves that when we think about our value, it's not what's in your 401. It's not how big your house is. It's not all this stuff. It's who I am. How can I guard what's been entrusted to me is realizing the God of heaven says, you are my son, you are my daughter. And by that, we follow God. And by that, we do the things that God wants us to do. How valuable that is. Number four, as we think about the book of Galatians, next chapter. You know God, and he knows you. Galatians 4, look at verse 8, verse 9. He says, however, at the time... You did not know God. You were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn your back again to the weak and worthless and elementary things to which you desire to be enslaved over again? What he's saying is God knows you. Now, on the first, that can be scary. God knows what you're thinking. God knows what you text. God knows what runs through your mind that you wanted to text, but you didn't text. God knows what you said on the phone. God knows what shows you watched. God knows what you whispered under your voice. My mother used to do that to me. She'd tell me something to do, and I'd get mad at her, and I'd walk away. And What did you say? She didn't know, but God knew. God knew. And on surface, that could be scary. It could be scary because you think, you know, God knows everything about me. If he does, he doesn't like me, but he does like you. And he sent Jesus for you. And how we can be redeemed, how we can ensure these things, how we can guard what's been entrusted to us is understanding that you know God and God knows you. And how valuable and rich that is when you understand that going through hard times, going through lonely times, going through mourning times, that God understands who you are and understands what you're capable of doing. Let me read you this article. Written by Gus Nichols. Some of you will recognize his name. He was a famous preacher generations ago. Gus Nichols wrote, Soon after I obeyed the gospel in the fall of 1909, that's how far back this goes. Soon after I obeyed the gospel in the fall of 1909, I read of an old brother who had not missed going to worship a single Sunday in 41 years. That story caused me to resolve and to purpose in my own heart that I would never miss the worship on any single Lord's Day as long as I lived, if possible, to attend. 
I've missed four Sundays in over 50 years. That was because of illnesses. Once I made that decision, the question has not come up as to whether I would attend church services or not. In fact, I did not decide that last Lord's Day to go to worship, nor the Sunday before that. That decision was made 50 years ago. How many Sundays did you miss last year? Now, well, Brother Shafts, we had quarantine. Yeah, but we still had worship, didn't we? We still had a Sunday. How many worships have you missed in the last 10 years? Since you were baptized, how many Sundays have you missed? You ever think about that? It's kind of a sobering thought, isn't it? It kind of makes us think, am I really guarding what's been entrusted to me? And so he knows you, and he knows what you want and what you need. Number five, your steps are directed by the Lord and not by feelings. Chapter five, Galatians five. Galatians five, look at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, he says that earlier. Go up in verse 16 in the same chapter. I say, walk by the Spirit and do not carry out the desires of the flesh. Look at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit. In other words, I'm following the will of God. I'm following what the Bible says. I'm doing what God says, not my feelings. And, and this gets back to that last illustration we just said. Wake up Sunday morning. Do I feel like going to church? That question doesn't enter your mind. It doesn't matter how I feel. Unless I got a fever and I'm sick, I should be here. Why? Because I'm led by God. Where's God's people going to be? Where should I be? Where are the people going to heaven going to be? Where should I be? And all that drives this idea of Guarding what's been entrusted to me. How do you keep it safe? How do you protect what God has given us? You do that by following what God wants you to do. Then number six, Galatians chapter six, what you're doing in the kingdom is seen by heaven and it is blessed. Galatians six verse nine, he says, and let us not lose heart in doing good for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. The Lord said in Matthew 10, verse 42, Whoever gives a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, he will not lose his reward. The Lord sees that. Not a case of water. Didn't pay his water bill. Didn't bring in a water truck. He gave him a glass of water. And God recognized that. What you're doing in the kingdom is a blessing. And it's known by God. Now, real quickly, let's go back through these points again. Because I want you to know how Satan tries to attack every one of them. First of all, Satan tries to get you to see, unless you have a following, you're a nobody. You see? You've got to do something to have a following. How many likes are on your phone? How many likes did you count on your Facebook page? How many this? How many that? That's what Satan tells you. You really are nobody because you have no following. God says, I approve of you because you're a disciple of mine. Satan tells you you cannot escape your past. Wherever you go, goes your past. That's the word of Satan. You can't overcome that. But God says, it's forgiven. It's gone. It's no longer here. Satan tells you that unless you have the latest and the best, you're a nobody. You mean your phone is not smart? You got a dumb phone? You mean you got a little TV? You mean you drive an old car? How in the world are you successful? I am a child of God. That's how I'm successful. 
I don't need stuff to make me realize I'm heaven bound. Satan wants you to think that God cannot help you. You're on your own. But we know better than that because of what the Bible tells us. Satan wants us to understand that what you do, you have to do what your heart tells you to do. Whatever your heart tells you to do, you need to do that. Follow your heart is what Satan says. God says, follow me. Follow me may not be always what you want to do. Follow me may be difficult. Follow me may be lonely. Follow me may be inconvenient. But you follow me. Satan says, follow your heart. Not the same thing. And then Satan says, you're wasting your time doing the things that people can never repay you. Why be nice to somebody when they can't repay you? Why go out of your way for somebody when they can't do something for someone? Why be generous? Why be helpful? Why be a servant? And the reason is that's what God wants us to do. And I believe that the Apostle Paul was making commercials. His commercial would simply be shields up. Shields up. We need to guard what's been entrusted. You have a soul that's made in the image of God. And Satan wants to steal that soul. You have a home. Not a house, but a home with people that are near and dear to you. And Satan wants to steal them. And then we have a congregation, and Satan wants to steal that. Now, how do we do this? We must guard. We must be careful what we're watching and what we're listening to. Be careful what we're paying attention to. Be careful what we're following. We need to have our shields up and be mindful of the things that are happening to us all about. There's a story of this elderly lady who loved the Bible. and She memorized large, large portions of the Bible. But as she got older, her memory started slipping. And she could only remember one passage. It's 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, where Paul says, I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. But in time, even that was going away from her. And all she could remember was what I have entrusted to him. And right before she passed away, she was whispering some things. And her family thought maybe she was whispering some dying wishes. And as they put their ear next to her voice, all she was saying was, him, him, him. I've given my life to him. I follow him. My whole life is defined by him. And I think that's just a powerful way to remind us. We live in tough times. We live in times where things that seem so innocent can be so dangerous. Things like even children's books can just be reeked full of evolution if we're not careful. Little TV shows, cartoons are introducing all kinds of things that counter to what God says. There's all kinds of things in the world today, and the world seems to be upside down, inside out. But for the people of God, we need to have our shields up. We need to be watchful. We need to be careful. We need to protect what God has given us. This congregation has stood on a long, long legacy of being faithful to God. We need to make sure that continues. That will not just happen. That happens when we put purpose behind that. Many of you have been Christian for years and years and years, and that just didn't happen. Every day you're making choices. Do I do this or do I do this? I feel like doing this, but here's really what God wants me to do. 
and your family pulls you, and society pulls you, and culture pulls you, and you stay the course, and you stay the course, and for decades and decades you've been staying the course, and as the world gets more and more out of line, you keep staying the course. Why? Because you are guarding what's been given to you, and that's your soul. And we look about our children, and we think, where will they be in 10 years? Where will they be in 20 years? Will they be worshiping God? Will they be worshiping God correctly? That comes about not by wishful thinking, not by just crossing your fingers. That comes about by guarding what we've been protected with. And so those are some of the things I want you to think about. This morning, if we can be of help to you, we want to be that. If you need to be baptized in Jesus Christ, this is a great opportunity to do that. And maybe some of us will let our guards down. Maybe we just blended in with the world we're in today. And maybe there's no, very little difference between us and the world. Maybe other than going to Sunday services, there's no difference. Our language, our attitudes, what impresses us, what we're all about, is no different than the world. It should be. It should be as we follow Jesus Christ. And so if you lose your soul, if your family doesn't make it, if this church goes upside down, it won't be God's fault. It won't be society's fault. It'll be us. For letting our shields down. And so this tells us that every day we got to be working on this. Every day we're making choices that can help us get closer to God or farther from God. Every word, every thought, every action, every place. This is not a Sunday thing where you come in, check out, come Monday, I lie, cheat, and steal with the best of them. No. This is not I come in here on Sunday and Monday when I'm taking a test, I may don't know the answer, so I'll look on the paper and I'll cheat. No. This is not coming here on Sunday. On Monday, I lie in some mortgage papers just so I can get a loan. No. This is not coming here Sunday, and then on Monday, I do something that's dishonest. No. This is my way of life. Sunday, I may be in a tie. Monday, I may be in a T-shirt. But on the inside, I'm no different. Why? Because I realize what God has given me and how precious it is and how it is a treasure. And if you were to line up everything that you own, top of that list would be yourself and then your children and should be this congregation. Those are the things we're trying to protect. If we can help you, won't you come as we stand, as we sing.